0: Brody.
1: Hi everybody and welcome to episode number 96 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast. This week we're going to get into... Where did you hear that? As this coach over the last month and a half has heard a number of... Poor training practices that were disproven back in the 90s have resurfaced on the internet once again, and it is uh, incredible how that happens. But before we get into today's episode, we like to tie in, or I like to tie in, all of the uh, different numbers before we get up to 100 into uh, something interesting. Once we get past 100, it's a little bit more difficult. But 1996 was the year of the t-shirt that I used to wear uh, because it said uh, class of 96, I used to wear that every time I had three of them. I used to wear it uh, every time I went into the weight room because I was under the age that you needed in order to lift. And that shirt, if I actually was in that class, would have made me old enough at that point to go into the weight room. So thankfully, the weight room attendants actually knew. I mean, you can't really hide it, right? I already look a lot younger than I am, (laughs) even, you know, 30 odd some years later, 20 some odd years later. Um... And they took me under their wing and that started my learning career and put me well, well fast forward ahead of a number of people uh, in the fitness industry when I finally got into it because the mentors and mentees that I had were absolutely incredible. They asked questions, they went beyond what was commonly accepted and, and, you know asked. Uh, John Wiggum comes to mind, Josh Walensky, Doc Alcoff, may he rest in peace, my first uh, powerlifting coach, uh, and a bunch of others who hung out in the weight room and just it wasn't the muscle and fiction crowd. These were folks who asked the question why and understood uh, you need to find what works for that athlete. And that's where we're going to start actually is this week's episode. We're going to start off with something for the coaches because there is apparently a couple of articles making the rounds that say that if you were a good coach you do not need a coach yourself. <sighs> I, don't, I don't even know where to start with that one. <laughs> Literally every single top professional in the world has at least one or two mentors or coaches helping them, uh, those that have come before them. Uh, who have gone through the struggle. We stand on the shoulders of the Giants who came before us, as Tony uh, Robbins likes to say, and a number of other highly successful individuals. Uh, You hear, if you watch The Last Dance on Netflix, uh, you hear Michael Jordan uh, talk about how he talked to Magic. Uh, You hear LeBron in an interview, uh, or excuse me, how Michael talked to LeBron and Kobe when they were coming up, helped them uh, be able to do better in the league. And this is, it's really the one of those things that, you know, the teenagers nowadays say, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even muster an, an appropriate uh, calibrated response, even though I've prepared one here, because it, it just, every time I, I read this, my jaw just drops, like, really? And this goes also for for writers. Now, with the riders and with coaches, we also have to be very aware of we don't know what we don't know. So nowadays in particular, uh, this is another thing that's been going around the internet, that in order to be a great coach, you need to be a evidence-based practitioner. Well, not necessarily. So we're gonna tie these two together because they're very closely related and we'll, we'll knock the coaches side of things out because a lot of you out there are looking for coaches or have had coaches or have coaches or are coaches yourself. You need a mentor. You need somebody to show you the ropes, to share their perspective on things. And it doesn't always have to agree with you. In fact, some of my best mentors are and have been those who don't agree with me on everything because we have discussions and that tends to be uh, missing nowadays on the internet, where I am right and you are wrong, and here's a 100 articles that prove that I am right, as opposed to that's interesting. Can you tell me more about that? And what facts or things are you seeing? What truths have you seen that hold this to be true, and you're so dedicated to it? Now, if we're not open to learning, if we're not open to being challenged, uh, that tends to lead to our death. We're either growing or we are dying. And when I mean death, we're talking about professional or your dis- your inability as a rider or an athlete to progress. And these are things that are hard to talk about because it's not comfortable. But just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean that we need to avoid or should avoid that conversation. In fact, you've heard here on previous podcasts, we heard from uh, Hunter Allen about how tr- power should help guide your training, but not be, the, be all end all. We're talking about one of the two godfathers of power training. He and and, uh, Andy Kogan, Dr. Andy Kogan, literally wrote the book on the subject. Uh, And it says very clearly in the book that these power numbers should be used as a general guideline, but that you want to learn how you feel and what these numbers actually mean to you Yet all of these evidence-based coaches out there say, well, when your power dropped off 9.7%, so you could have done another one because you weren't at 10. But meanwhile, you look at your heart rate, and your heart rate slammed to the roof, and you felt like the le- your legs were going to fall off at the end of that one. That's where you need to follow what the athlete is telling you, and this is what a mentor can help you learn, both as an athlete yourself and as a coach when do you push when do you back off Uh, and this is something that i've learned uh, the most not from being mentored myself or coached myself but from mentoring others Uh, i've had a few phone calls uh, the last couple of months with coaches from around the world who are interested in being mentored Uh, i've had a number who i've mentored before including college age all the way up to 63 and really what it comes down to is recognizing we don't know what we don't know and when we look at this, this is where we start to investigate a little bit. And this is where the evidence-based practices can be lost. It's because you're looking for evidence and really you have to be very critical of the studies as well as understand how to break them down. And, and I was very bad at this at the beginning of my career. Granted, I took a, a health and fitness Uh, research in health and fitness with Dr. Uh, Nagel at Pitt, which was an ACSM accredited uh, program at the time, which means that I was getting, and I was trained, the gold standard in the entire world of how to think about training and, and a scientific approach. I That is my training. I learned how to go through the ACSM protocol, how to look at things, how to look at numbers, how to perform a, a fitness test on a bike, how to do a number of different things, how to read research. And even still, even with that, I still came in with my prejudices and the viewpoint that I had because of what the world worked or the way the world worked, I should say, for me as an athlete. And thankfully, I had some really great coaches and mentors that just kind of let me... Make those mistakes. And when I made those mistakes, they were there to help me gently and sometimes not so gently see the mistakes that I made. Now they never let me get injured. That's one of the main things. I, I want to make a point here. Is nobody ever let me do something really, really dumb. Like, I don't know, run six miles from my house to downtown in the middle of July because I was feeling motivated after a lift. Thankfully, I got a really good lecturing. Um, but they did let me make the mistake of running from my house to Pitt's campus, which is, uh, and and the fitness center, which was about a 3.6 mile run, roughly 3.65 ending going up Cardiac Hill. The name says it all to the Peterson event center. And I had, and on the way there, I was fine. But on the way back, uh, I left in the morning at nine before it got hot. And I started my return after weightlifting, after doing an on-bike session, uh and heading home at 11:30 in 82% humidity and the hottest day that we had had to that point i think it was 83 or 84 degrees and i had uh, heat exhaustion very much on the verge of heat stroke uh i can look at back at that now and look at my notes from my training and say that with 100% certainty uh had it not been for the giant two bags of ice that we had in our freezer uh and taking an ice bath and dropping my core temperature, I don't even want to think where I would have gone. And that's part of having a great mentor. Uh, and also, you know, the, the evidence based stuff, I remember reading an article of running uh, before your session at an easy pace, and then pushing it after can be great for an aerobic endurance, as well as maximizing the strength gains because you are using the max of the motor unit. And I damn near killed myself. <laughs> it's funny, because it didn't, actually happen. Uh, I also learned on the working 911 calls on the ambulances that humor is a way to deal with very dangerous situations. Uh, It seems wrong to outsiders until you've been in that situation, and then you're like, man, I I totally get it. Uh, We won't go down that road. But Back on track, the evidence-based practices uh, and mentoring, this is where uh, those two really work well together. Now, of course, of course, of course, we have those coaches. I I just got an email actually today from a coach uh, in a country to remain unnamed who went to a strength training for cycling uh, put on by the uh, state federation and was very underwhelmed Uh, And when asked, or when this individual asked about what about strength training for females, uh, they said, well, it's the same. And sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. It's a complex answer. But sometimes we're just behind the times because we're going based off of research. And this is what a mentor can help you be able to figure out if you have the right one at the right time for you. Uh, The phone call I had this past week with uh, an individual interested in mentoring. that happened to come into my world. I came into theirs, so however you want to look at it, and it just happened to be the right time. Um, it's not always the right time. I've had a couple people come to me for mentoring a couple years ago, and it wasn't the right time. I uh, recognized that, and they wound up coming back around about two and a half, three years later, and it was a great fit uh, because they went through certain experiences and had certain things happen. And this is where having a coach doesn't mean you just go out uh, and, and pay somebody. You know, there's a lot of coaches out there who say, sure, I'll mentor. You can just pay me even for, for my mentorship, for the uh, upcoming opening of the strength training for cyclist certification. Um, the deposit is made, uh, but I've refunded it twice uh, because it wasn't a right fit in full. So I'm losing money on that because of the transaction fees. I don't care about that. I want the right person at the right time for them. Uh, and this is where you need to be careful about those you're electing uh, to, to, allow you to take them on as mentors. Um, It's not easy. It is not easy. And, you know, the last two bullet points on that, because I do want to move on here. I've I've been on this for a couple minutes. Uh, The last two bullet points are, uh, you need to know what you want or need to get out of that mentorship. If you don't, uh, or that coaching coach, uh, coach E or athlete relationship. If you don't know what you want to get out of it, uh, it can prove to be very frustrating because you're, I don't understand the process, I don't understand what's going on. Why are you having me do this? So, you have to go through and ask the question of what do I want to get out of this? What does success look like from where I'm thinking right now in three months, in six months? Uh, and that brings us to the last little mark about a mentorship. If you're looking for somebody, uh, the minimum for a mentorship as a coach, that you are bringing somebody into your life to be a mentor uh, should be at minimum three months. Really six months is going to be a much better time frame to accomplish something. Uh, three months really isn't that much. Uh, and you do need to make sure about how much uh, time you're actually getting with them. So uh <laughs> In order to be a great coach, you need to find another coach. And that doesn't mean your coach that you find needs to be the leader in X or Y. It just needs to be the person who has the right experiences that's going to help you be able to grow and challenge you in a way that is supportive uh, and continue forward. Now, for the evidence based style of things uh, or side of things, I would strongly recommend uh, picking up a book called How to Lie with Statistics. Uh, And just learn how to actually read a research article. It is counterintuitive. Uh, All of us in in Dr. Nagel's class were like, "So why? If they know everybody reads it that way, why don't they just change it?" And it's well, that's because that's the way (laughs) that's the way it's done. And and we have a podcast episode uh, way back when I think it was episode sixty four. Nope, that was posture and breathing. We have a a podcast episode way back when on on how to actually uh, read a research article. Um, It has to do with triathlon. I can't remember which number it is, uh, but I would strongly recommend going back and looking at that uh, because it is absolutely pivotal. The number of people who send me uh, meaning well, I mean, and and we have a conversation, right? Try and have the conversation with them about, okay, uh, what exactly... um, are you looking for out of this? So I want to know their bias ahead of time. And they say, well, I need something I need. I need something that proves this, this, and this. Well, that's a problem already because you're looking to prove yourself right. When you say, I'm looking to learn about X and see what exactly the needs are, or what exactly, who this applies to, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're starting to get somewhere because you'll often find that some of the absolute best results that you'll learn about from a research article is actually going to be from seeing who did it not help. So just because the P is 0.05, you have to look at who the subjects were, uh, what they uh, were doing, how long did it go for, uh, et cetera, things of that nature. And this is the thing that is going to make the biggest difference for you by reading the research article. Uh, So make sure, I'll find the link for the the episode number uh, and put it into the uh into the description here because that is a absolute paramount. The number of coaches who've listened to that and those of you who are research based in your practice uh, have been fantastic responses from that. Now let's move on to the next one. Uh this just keeps cycling in different ways. Uh X Diet is the only way. Now this popped up because a number of you have sent me these ads or screenshots of ads from Facebook saying This cycling diet, I lost 39 pounds in eight weeks and my goal was uh, 62 kilos and I got down to 52. Yeah, so you lost all of this weight, but there's a number of systems of the body that you have now completely flummoxed. They have no idea what the heck is going on. Uh, And this can have long-term detrimental repercussions to you as well as short-term. So. Episode 34, we talked about the steel mace with uh, Archie Koblon. We're gonna actually have him back on. Uh, he and I spoke about this exact topic a couple times uh, the last couple of months because uh, I went through the last, the third national lockdown we had here. I actually put on around 20 pounds, and um, you know Archie and I have a very good relationship, and he he gets me right, uh, and he's like, hey man. Yeah. You're looking like you're, you're, you're stocking up for winter. It's not that cold here. And first thing, you know, well, whatever I put on a little bit. And then when I filmed the road.cc series, uh, in January, 2021, and I was editing it, uh, or sitting down with the editor online, I'm like, wow. Okay. That's not good, man. I could see it on my face. I could see it in my stomach. I could, and it's just not, not nice. And a number of people, because Archie and I were talking about it, like, oh yeah, just go on like uh, 1,500 calories a day, da da da. And we both kind of looked at each other like, mm, yeah, cool, all right, whatever, bro. And the reason this is important and, and, and we don't want to go into these massive caloric deficits and think about our absolute weight going down is because it screws so hard. With your hormonal system. And as you've heard here on previous podcast episodes, the hormonal system of the body is absolutely integral to your long-term success and health. And if you put it through these big shocks, uh, you're going to come up with really big problems. Now, that being said, uh, on top of that, there's also two different types of visceral fat. There's yellow fat and there's white fat. The white fat is really, really bad. This is the type of fat that those uh, who are quote unquote skinny fat, where they are looking super lean, super healthy, but they go to the doctor and the doctor is like, your numbers from your blood lipid profile and your blood test and your hormones are completely screwed. These are the folks that if you were to actually go in and do a DEXA scan uh, or or whatever technology you have available to you, and those in the field, I know, I know, I know, it's not exactly the specifics. We're just talking in generals here, but if you have the scans that help you differentiate between uh, brown fat, and white fat, uh, you will find, uh, or yellow fat as it's known, it's really brown, uh, they will have higher densities of this white fat, which is really, really bad for you. Uh, it really packs much more of a, a negative hormonal impact. Uh, and what happens is, as you go through these, uh, essentially their starving phases, uh, and then binging, you are screwing with your hormones. Now, this is completely different than intermittent fasting, if you do it right. And we'll hear from uh, Archie about this, and we'll get into that with him, uh, because that's his area of expertise. I know a little bit well, I know enough to be dangerous, right? I could say the wrong thing, and then somebody follows it. And that's why I don't get into the details like just a second ago with brown fat versus white fat uh, and the scan that you need, because I know enough that it may give one of you out there the impression that you know everything because you heard it on a podcast, and then you're in trouble. Uh, so we want to be smart about that. Now, the hormonal status of the body, if you're going through intermittent fasting and actually doing it and making it a lifestyle... Can be very beneficial. Uh, this is something that uh, goes all the way back to Maimonides. In fact, there is a great book uh, heavily cited for those of you who are evidence-based practitioners and would like to stay that way. It's called Maimonides on Metabolism, and I strongly recommend you pick it up because this book was written by a physician, Maimonides, who lived hundreds of years before us, and he was one of the best physicians ever. Of his time. And he had kings and and sultans and all these people coming to him, uh, seeking out his medical advice because he was so dialed into what was going on. And he talks about intermittent fasting, the effects of different foods and the timing. Like, if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong here, melon, because of its effect on the digestive system, should be eaten in the morning and avoided before bed. And a bunch of other stuff like this. Like, it is crazy when you actually go through and read this book and you're like, here's a dude who lived 200 and something years ago, and he understands what we are just learning about now with research. It's crazy this is where it comes down to there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, When it comes to strength training for cycling, uh, a lot of the research that's being done is very basic right now. These are things that have been looked at from other sports. Um, We already know certain things. Now, of course, there are going to be uh, research articles out there that are going to be published that go against the grain and prove the exact opposite. And in fact, there is a publishing bias um, in which these specific research articles, even when they are unquestionable, the researcher, how they went through the statistics, how they broke things down, how they executed the research. When it is undeniable, they have a research bias. And sometimes it takes years for this to be published because people just aren't ready or the publishers don't want to be uh, the black swan in the room of publishing this and just turning things everything upside down. I've heard this from now three leading researchers who will remain unnamed uh, that have proven unequivocally that what we are doing and think is best practice is almost the exact opposite of what we should be doing for that particular realm. And it's crazy. And it's crazy. (laughs) Um, But where were we back on on track here? Uh, So these diets uh, that you have are absolutely, uh, you know, the the paleo diet, you have uh, low carb, high fat, high protein, high, high fat, low carb, all these different things. The diet that works for one person isn't going to work for someone else. Each of us has a different internal environment, but going through and looking at the number on the scale and determining your success is one of the fastest ways to guarantee you are going to fail in the long run. So maybe it is true. Maybe this diet that's advertising, they really did lose 30 pounds. Uh, and are now lower than their goal weight, but is that actually healthy for them and can they maintain it? Now I can speak ad nauseum on this because I worked as an exercise physiologist for an ASMBS uh, center of excellence for bariatric surgery with uh, two of the best bariatric surgeons uh, in the East coast. Um, And I saw it. It's the check mark. It's known in obesity. You go down, you drop the weight and then over the next two years you come right back to where you are. Now why is that? Why is it when we go through the bariatric surgery, which could be the sleeve, uh, which isn't very effective? it could be the the ring, which also isn't very effective or it could actually be uh, where we go in and create a smaller pouch uh, for the stomach, which is effective, but is not a guarantee. It comes down to the internal environment and your habits. We're talking about life stress and the effect that that has on the hormonal status. We're talking about how much food you're actually able to get in, how you are balancing with the movement. All of these things tie in to allowing you to either stay at a lower weight because all of them, you know, if we go through and we look at the bariatric surgery success rates, uh, the best surgeons have a fantastic team around them. Psychologists, dietitians, exercise physiologists, uh, and nursing staff. It all plays together, and that was one of the best parts of that office, uh, is that the manager, the doctors, everybody was literally on the same page uh, with the patient at the center of it, and we all work to do our job uh, to support them. And, hey, this person's coming in to see me, but they really should be seeing you. Can you stop in for a minute and just say hi and see if you can schedule with them? Or maybe we'll swap and you take my appointment because they need the time with you for... uh, There's all these things all these things that go on that people don't talk about, but it's evidence. There is evidence out there. Literally, everybody knows the check mark. Dude, dude, over the two years, if you don't change your lifestyle, if you don't change your eating habits, if you don't change uh, your internal uh, environment, you are going to gain the weight back. Almost all of it. But hey, I lost the weight once. I can lose it again. That's not the point. And that's why uh, the best bariatric surgeons don't take everybody who walks in the door and wants to pay them to go through the surgery. And it's a hard process because we want successes. We want people who are actually gonna be able to help, not do the surgery, have an altered body, uh, and then not be able uh, to get out of it. Really important, so these diets that are advertised out there, the ones where you're going through and you're eating next to nothing, Uh, is not the way to do it. And and again, Archie can talk more about it, but the timing of fats, the timing of proteins, um, how you're sleeping, the quality of the sleep, the stress, your meditative states or your ability to deal with stress in a positive way or in a healthy outlet, Uh, healthy being the key because a lot of people say, when I get stressed, I exercise more not necessarily the best thing. Um, these are really important things uh, to keep in mind. And yet we've known this for a number of decades at this point. And yet here we are in 2021 on Facebook with these ads that people are signing up for because, hey, I need to lose 32 pounds. I, myself, I am including myself in that. I am down seven kilos. So that's what, 18 pounds already. And I need to lose another 12 pounds six kilos. So right around 30 pounds is where I need to go, but it is happening slowly. So we're recording this here in May. It's been five months, a pound a week, and it's not a straight up and down. I actually shot up about a kilo and a half for one week when life was very stressful. And then what do you know? Started managing it by practicing gratitude first thing in the morning, uh, making sure that if I craved something, I still had it, but in very small amounts. Uh, So chocolate, we got medium dark chocolate. I think it was 60%. So still a little bit sweet, three blocks of it. That was it. Or there are these little chocolate puddings that are 87 calories, uh, that are not sugar-free, but it's 87 calories and it makes me happy. So I did that. And guess what? I lost like quote unquote, three pounds in a week. It wasn't three pounds in a week, it was because I changed my internal environment and I was holding water weight and stress because my body's going, oh crap, something's gonna happen. And that's where a lot of us, there's research out there, we only read what's in our world. And this is one of the things that is dangerous, and I really mean that, dangerous about social media nowadays. Next time you log into Facebook, take a look at who is showing up in your feed If you're like me and every hour or two you're jumping on just to kind of see what's going on uh, because either you're running a campaign or you are interacting with somebody you wanna keep the conversation going. How many new posts are there now? This is May, 2021. Facebook's algorithm now looks at who you're interacting with what types of things that you are interested in because of your cruising on the internet and it essentially funnels you into somewhere around 20 to 50 of the same people that you're seeing over and over again unless you specifically search out an individual on facebook multiple times not just once it has to be multiple times and then that individual and two or three related are going to now automatically fill in your feed How do I know this is true? Because myself and several others, uh, we all started talking a little bit, because we're like, I haven't seen your stuff forever. We started going in, and then all of a sudden, after three or four times of searching for the person, oh, there you are, and now I see what's going on. Man, it's been a while, how have you been? Wow, I didn't know you did this back in December. Wow, and when you go to their Facebook page, You are not going to see the stuff that you missed from the last time, but it's gonna show you the freshest stuff. And every time you go back, it's just gonna put fresh, fresh, fresh. You're not gonna be able to go back and find the article or the cute photo of their kid or their dog or the funny thing that they're talking about that happened to their aunt three states away because it wants you to see new content. And this ties all the way back to the beginning of who you are surrounding yourself with, mentors or other athletes you need to be very careful because it is dangerous. You start getting into these little circles where you are regurgitating the same thing over and over again and all you're doing is feeding each other. Did you hear this, did you hear that, did you hear this, did you hear that, did you hear this, did you hear that? Oh, we're talking about the same thing we were three weeks ago because nobody's learned anything new. Uh, And Facebook will also recognize that you're talking about this thing. So all of a sudden you're seeing ads. One of my favorite things to do, by the way, since my phone is here on silent, is to talk about gerbils. And rodents. I like gerbils and rodents. Why do I like gerbils and rodents? Because they're so cute and fluffy. And, you know, having a gerbil at home, you just have to buy the food once a week. Uh, you just have to make sure that you change the cage, what, once a week. And gerbils and rodents are so cute and small that you can have them in your own home and keep them in a small and space. And you have these cute little rodents in your home and you're able to keep them. We're not talking about mice and rats. We're talking about um, guinea pigs and things like that. Now, what's going to happen in the next 48 hours or sooner, all of a sudden on Facebook, I'm going to start seeing ads for gerbil food and guinea pig food or homes because it's listening. Creepy. Google too. We're going to close the episode there. And this isn't a whole like, oh, they're spying on you, da da da. It's, it's right there in the terms and conditions. If you actually read those 48, 58 pages, uh, you will see that it is in there. You're allowing access to your microphone. This is all important and, and ties back together to where did you hear that? You heard that because either the social media algorithms are leading you into a circle or down a funnel because someone is paying for advertising uh, or because someone has put a cookie onto the website, which you have uh, accepted as a surfer, Uh, or there's a Facebook pixel or a Google pixel, whatever it is, we need to be extremely aware nowadays. And I just had this conversation with one of my mentors and coaches uh, this afternoon where his question was, how much better off would we be if this pandemic happened in 1998, not that long ago, 23 years, Michael Jordan, (laughs) Uh, 23 years ago. And someone said, "Oh, we'd be so much worse because we wouldn't be able to get updates all the time and be able to track it." Da da da. And like my mentor, I was like, "I I don't know, man." Because then you have gatekeepers, which isn't always good, right? But then all of the information has to be put into the morning news and the evening news, and newspapers, where there are people that have to go and fact check, that have to go and cross reference and make sure that they're actually correct. Is it possible? That had the corona outbreak happened, the pandemic happened in 1998, we would have dealt with it better. You could say the technology wouldn't have been there to create the vaccine, sure. You could say the technology to be able to share these uh, immunization passports or whatever wouldn't be there, sure. But would we actually be that much better off? And that ties back again to where'd you hear that? So you've got to be very careful and, and take a step back and really think, you know, are there gatekeepers? Where did I hear this information? Has it been fact-checked? Has it been fact-checked across from both sides? If you're looking at political news, you got to look at both sides. And nobody does that anymore. I don't want to read this POS written by the people who disagree with me. Well, the truth is going to lie somewhere in the middle. And uh, it's it's really difficult. So, With that being said, the truth is going to be somewhere in the middle for you. If you're looking for a mentor or a coach, the truth will be somewhere in the middle. Maybe you don't need someone who's many years ahead of you age-wise, maybe, or experience-wise. You need someone who's a level ahead of you, who has good training practices that are similar to yours, or an outlook that's similar to yours. I don't know. Only you can decide that. When it comes to evidence-based practices, you need to be very critical of how you are taking in the research, who's published it, where it was done, who paid for it, uh, as well as who these subjects were and how they broke down the numbers. So there's lots of different things uh, to look at, as well as has the research been done in another world or another related or somewhat related realm that might be able to help us better understand this? And more importantly, what are the best coaches in the world doing right now? Because that is in fact where a lot of these researchers get their questions to research. Why is this working for this coach with these athletes? We don't know, let's take a look and see. So with that, uh, I want to invite you to sign up for the insiders list for the strength training for cyclists certification, which is going to open here June thirteenth, twenty twenty-one, midsummer. This is our first time opening it in midsummer. Uh, we've made some nice additions to the course. I'm very excited to open it up. Uh, we will have uh, one or two mentorship uh, possibly open. Uh, it depends. I'm talking to a couple uh, right now. Uh, So those may not be available. Uh, As well as we have uh, a number of really exciting projects in the cooking, in the cooks, in the baking, in the works. Uh, As we go through the next couple of weeks here, those will be unveiled. So make sure that you are heading over to the HV Training website sign up for the weekly newsletter. It's free. Uh, Each week is a roundup of the different posts that we've done across the media. So different articles, different contributions, our YouTube videos, podcasts here, as well as blog posts and some insights. Uh, Many of you have said that that you are really enjoying and appreciating the preamble uh, in the newsletter. So there's a lot of value there Uh, and it's free. So just go ahead on over, sign up at the Human Vortex Training website, humanvortextraining.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode or any of the other here on the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete podcast, please give us a review over on iTunes or whatever purveyor of podcasts you listen to and give us a share. We'd really like to get great information out there to help more people. Until next time, remember, train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you.
0: That's it for this episode of the Strong, Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast with world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Don't miss an episode. Hit that subscribe button and give us a review. For more exclusive content, visit humanvortextraining.com or get the latest expert videos from Coach Brody on the HVT YouTube channel at HBTraining. Training. Until next time. Remember to train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you.